0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Peter B. Collins Show, coming your way via the internets from San Francisco. Our program is supported by listeners, and you can help, too. Go to the newly updated Peter B. Collins website, peterbcollins.com, and click on the tab that says you can help. People all over the world listen to this program and subscribe for as little as $5 a month. And I want to give a shout-out to one of our newest listeners who just emailed me from Spain, Patricia Cahill. Or maybe it's Patricia Cahill, in true Spanish accent. However you say it, I'm delighted to know that you're listening all the way across the Atlantic. You're about to hear the latest installment in the Boiling Frogs podcast interview series, co-hosted with Sabelle Edmonds. Russ Baker is our guest in this broadcast, and he's a fascinating independent investigative journalist. And I want you to visit his website, whowhatwhy.com. Russ will be talking about his latest book about the Bush dynasty. And before we roll that recording, just one other little tip. I'd like to invite you to visit Sabelle's website at boilingfrogspost.com and scroll down a little bit and look for the incredible piece that she wrote about Dennis Hastert and his corrupt connections to Turkish interests. It's well-researched, detailed, and stunning because you and I are still paying for a car and driver and a staff for Dennis Hastert as he performs duties as a registered lobbyist for the nation of Turkey. Yeah, it sucks. Now here it is, the Boiling Frogs interview with Russ Baker. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Boiling Frogs. Everybody
1: knows that the days are loaded. Everybody
0: Fingers crossed, everybody knows, the war is over, everybody knows,
2: the good guys lost, everybody knows, the
1: fire is fixed, the poor stay poor, the rich get rich, that's how it goes,
2: everybody knows, everybody knows. What do they? NSA's illegal domestic wiretapping, FBI's national security letters, state secrets privilege, TSA's one million plus no-fly list, persecution of government whistleblowers, perpetual wars, rendition and torture. Can you feel the water boiling? Welcome to the Boiling Frogs.
0: Welcome to the Boiling Frogs. With Sabelle Edmonds, I'm Peter B. Collins. And our guest today is journalist Russ Baker. He's an award-winning investigative reporter, the founder of WhoWhatWhy.com, and we'll talk about that nonprofit journalism site uh, during this conversation. He's written for The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The Nation, New York Times, Washington Post, Village Voice, and Esquire. And his new book is called Family of Secrets, and Sabel Edmonds has had an opportunity to uh, read at least part of the book. Uh, I'm working just off some notes about it. Uh, the subtitle of the book is The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Russ Baker, welcome to Boiling Frogs.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here, and I love the name of your show.
0: Well, we can feel that heat. Can you?
1: <laughs> often, often.
0: <laughs> Russ, I had the the uh, pleasure of meeting you a couple of years back at one of those uh, radio rows. I think it was at the Take Back America conference, and you had just published some uh, articles in The Nation. And uh, it's good to connect with you again. Tell us first a little bit about this uh, website, Who, What, Why, and uh, how long this has been up.
1: Sure. Well, uh, the um, it's something that we've been working on for a few years. The site itself... Uh, has been up a shorter period, and we're still kind of in a beta mode. We're uh, trying to get the funding together so that we can go live regularly with stories. The basic notion is that to do the proper uh, work on deep investigative stories about power and about uh, how things go on in this country behind the scenes, you really need... Both a lot of freedom and you need a lot of resources. Uh, neither of which uh, are likely to take place when you're within a corporate news organization.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you hear? Goldman Sachs has 500 million that they want to put out to startups and growing businesses. You think you ought to apply there?
1: I think they'd love to fund our piece. Looking at Goldman Sachs.
2: <laughs> I have a question here so that's the mainstream media corporate media one of the questions that I get a lot and actually I think about uh, is the other side and that is uh, we are getting to see more alternative media sites some of them are doing great jobs but a lot of these uh, uh, organizations media uh, organizations are set up as 501c3 they have foundation uh, money and then uh, you're talking about how much of influence those foundations and the funders exert when uh, they uh, they support the cause. For example, if they are uh, partisan uh, or they feel partisan, either towards left or the right, well, how much that influence the news organization that the funding from, from these particular foundations?
1: Well, that's a good uh, question, Sibel, or comment perhaps, but... Uh Certainly, uh, one of the things that we're trying to do with WhoWhatWhy.com that I think will distinguish it is we are neither uh, a partisan or ideological site on the one hand, nor are we the sort of nonprofit that restricts what it looks into or how it phrases things in order to please uh, these large grant-making foundations. We're trying to do something new, and that is to take every story and to follow the facts, wherever they go irrespective of uh, uh, any particular uh, group or end of the spectrum. Uh, We also are oriented towards naming names and telling the full story uh, no matter how uh, unsettling that may be for people in in positions of power, and I might might agree with you that uh, a lot of these foundations, I mean we do hope to get some foundation money, but the problem is that foundations are basically set up by wealthy powerful people And uh, even though there may be some uh, altruism there, there also are some concerns uh, expressed or implied that I think cause, at a minimum, a sort of self-censorship on the part of the journalists.
2: Absolutely. And and it's beautiful. And I am wishing you the best of luck. And I definitely will support it because that is needed. And that's one of the problems I I, I happen to see a lot. I, I saw it with my organization, National Security Whistleblowers Coalition. And when we were going for 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 uh you know funding and uh, a little bit with boiling frog's post, and that's why it's mainly supported by the readership and uh, I think uh, what you are trying to do here is exactly what people need because too much partisanship out there, and that basically gets everything blindsided and 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 uh, skews the facts
1: yeah, you know I've experienced that even though over the years. Uh, writing for, say, places like uh, The Nation and The Village Voice and in these times and so on that would be identified somewhat as a sort of a progressive orientation, there have been occasions where I would explore something and I would come up with some facts that that did not please people on that end of the spectrum, and I found they were completely unwilling to to listen to it or, or to see it published. Yep.
0: Now, Russ, tell us a little bit about uh, your sense of nonpartisan, because we really have reached a point where we have Fox News pandering to the right, we have uh, arguably MSNBC pandering to the left, and so we really do have kind of uh, two sets of facts out there, red facts and blue facts, and it makes it very hard to have any kind of a meaningful dialogue to build consensus.
1: That's a very, very true, Peter. In fact, what it does is it perpetuates uh, a, a split. It, it 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 locks in and it sort of protracts this kind of. Uh, uh, kind of division in our society. And it's basically unnecessary because my experience is that most people in the United States are not really all that fixed from an ideological standpoint. They've got a kind of a, a gut reaction to those sort of hot button issues. But when you start presenting them, uh, with with uh, new facts that they of which they were unaware, they're surprised and sort of pleased to to receive this information presented in a in, in a manner that treats them with uh, with some respect. And uh, I, I have to say that uh, I, what we're trying to do with who what why dot com is to be neither like the partisans nor like the purported uh, objectivity. Of the corporate media, because that's another problem. That's where they say that they're balanced and they're considering both sides, but they end up washing out, and so they are uh, basically afraid to drive all the way to the kind of conclusions that any reasonable person might arrive at. And so you see a kind of a prejudice uh, on the side of, of powerful institutions. So, for example, when you're covering uh, health uh, health reform. Um, you 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 uh, maybe it's clear that the insurance companies are doing something wrong, but you can't quite say that. So you you give them a little bit too much of a hearing, and in the end, the reader is sort of confused as to what the truth actually is.
0: And Russ, I'm looking at your site now at who what why dot com, and by the way, I signed up for the RSS feed, a subscription. It's really cool because it uh, comes in on my Yahoo page, and uh, your headlines will replace uh, some AP or corporate headlines that were coming in on my feed. So thank you for that. Uh, the The tagline here reads forensic journalism. Tell us what that means to you and why it is needed in the current context.
1: Sure. Well, uh, forensic, if you look it up, there are different definitions of the term. Uh, my use of it, our use of it is basically along the lines of the shows like uh, a CSI and so forth, where uh, you watch these 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 crime shows, and you're expecting to get to learn something about uh, the deeper levels, uh, uh, where experts are sort of drilling down and being very very precise and careful and sort of relentless in trying to establish exactly what happened. So what we are trying to do with Who What Why dot com is to establish exactly what happened, and what I mean by that is uh, I discovered, and I hope we'll have time to. To get into that uh, when I, in, in researching family of secrets, I discovered that many, many major historical epochs in recent American history were not the way that I had understood them to be, and I was really sort of uh, blown away by this that, that I could have so completely misunderstood. Uh, major events that shaped my perception uh, of power in America. And as other people have been reading the book, they've been saying the same thing. My gosh, how come we didn't know about any of these things? So my sense is there are a tremendous number of things that we don't know, even not only what things mean, but actually just what happened. Uh, And I'm talking about all kinds of events, big events, small events, long-term patterns, Uh, daily uh, breaking news events, whether the cause of something, and and so our idea is let's really drill down there almost like we're detectives, police detectives, and just try to figure out exactly what went on.
2: As for the topics, are you going to start uh, large or kind of a more narrow focus in terms of the areas you're going to be looking into? For example, some sites try to be everything to everyone, meaning they have the financial and the health and then the entertainment and the uh, foreign uh, policy-related, civil liberties related uh, issues and cases and stories, is it going to be uh, that kind of a wide scope or is it going to have more focus, let's say, on uh, particular areas?
1: Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're we're narrower just by definition of the fact that we're focusing on investigative journalism. Now, of course, that term is used by different people in different ways. So you see, investigative journalism being used to, to mean almost anything, but what we mean it is 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 really digging, uh, uh, developing sources, finding documents, not just simply reporting what somebody says. And and when you do that, and when you also sort of kick out all of the kind of opinion stuff that you see on the web, you're already much, much narrower. And because we're only doing national and international stories, that knocks out all of the local content. Uh, And then because we're not going to be doing, you know, per se, sports and entertainment and all those things, even within the investigative area, we are focusing very much on trying to figure out, uh, as they say in Latin, qui bono, who benefits. And so we're trying to look at, I I would say it's sort of the the deep politics of the equation, uh, the the term uh, deep politics as they use it, as you know, in Turkey. Uh, And we're trying to kind of look at uh, major events so so in terms of economics yes we 're interested certainly uh, in what 's been happening on wall street but we 're particularly interested in things like how does the president choose uh, his economic advisors? why, in particular let 's say our Summers and Geithner in the white House um, uh, how How did uh, places like Goldman and J P. Morgan Chase get the kind of influence that they that they've had. Uh and so it's uh, it's really about power and it's about power whether it's in terms of the economy uh, or the power of uh, large uh, transnational corporations uh to to avoid having to do anything about uh about climate change or you know so that of course would be environment and so on but you you start seeing a pattern and in the end it's all the same it's all about power and how it affects our lives.
2: Right. I'm glad you mentioned one very important point and that is there's so many sites out there that advertise themselves as alternative news source, alternative investigative news, but when, especially the larger, more successful ones, but when you go to their sites, when I go to their sites, basically 90% of what they have uh, is considered recycled news. So they change the headline from something that was published by CBS or by. NBC and then they put a paragraph intro and their own opinion and then the rest of the piece in fact they have a link there too that goes to CBS. So I'm like well where is the investigation there who investigated this these are all recycling you know just like a just like a recycling plant the mainstream media news yet this model somehow by choosing partisanship has been successful with some sites I'm just gonna go ahead and name one site Right now, and Peter, I'll ask you to do that too. Just if you type rawstory.com and go to the website, start from the top to bottom, okay? All the headlines. Mm-hmm. If you click, you're going to see every single one of those coming from New York Times, MSNBC, a lot of MSNBC, uh, something on Fox with the one little paragraph commentary. You are not going to find one piece that has been done by an investigative journalist. Do it right now. I invite anyone to do it.
1: Well, just to, to cut them a little bit of slack, Raw Story has been quite nice about republishing pieces that I've done. <laughs> right, uh, so, but that so is they not do, investigative they do take journalism. Some of that, I think, the problem is that many of these sites don't have the resources or the capability uh, to generate the original investigative material, and then there simply aren't enough sites doing the kind of work that we want to do, and this is right. exactly why we feel that Who, What, Why needs to exist.
2: Absolutely. There just
1: isn't enough of this kind of product coming out on a regular basis.
2: Absolutely. Agreed.
0: And, Sabell, I agree with your point. There is a lot of material picked up from corporate news sources that appears on these so-called alternative sites. Uh, but I will also speak up for Raw Story because Larissa Alexandrovna, did incredible work uh, peeling back the Don Siegelman story and bringing it to life. Uh, and uh, uh, Scott uh, who, uh, from Harper's, uh, um, I'll, I'm Scott, so, Horton. Scott Horton, yeah, uh, picked up on that and kind of took it into uh, mainstream territory. Also, there's a guy named Byrne, I think it's Dennis Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. John Byrne. John Byrne, who yeah. does a lot of original reporting there. Uh, so I, I think that there are some very important exceptions and the site that I would point out is called the public record. Uh, Jason Leopold started that site about a year and a half ago and he does a lot of original reporting of his own and he has brought in people like Andy Worthington, who is the British journalist, who's the expert on Guantanamo and uh, a few others. So I think there are some interesting exceptions, but your point is well taken that there is simply too much recycled material. And I'll just tell you a little bit that Truthout.org underwent a management change recently, and one of the issues was that the preceding executive director was using a lot of material from corporate news sources and apparently wasn't following all the rules. And so (laughs) they've tightened up their operation, and there is less of that corporate-generated content uh, at Truthout.org than there was, say, a year ago.
2: To you as a journalist, Russ, what is Huffington Post?
1: Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I mean, this was a, a brilliant idea from a number of angles. Uh, it's a platform uh on which anybody who has something they want to say not anyone but but a lot of us who you know have something to say um, I periodically blog on there we we just uh put it up basically and so it is a repository of a tremendous amount of opinion material melded with a certain amount of stuff that they're picking up uh re, you know uh, from um, uh, uh, corporate news sources uh so it's a mixture of things uh and it's basically kind of like a giant blog uh, and And it has a huge amount of content the, the the It has become so popular, I think it has more people going to that than to the new york Times site right. uh, so it 's very successful in what it is, but one of the problems i 'm running into is uh, uh, when when we 're talking to people trying to you know raise money so we can really, you know, fully launch who, what, why people are saying, well, how are you different than the Huffington Post? And I have to try to explain to people that there's a tremendous difference. We're focused on having a a small, uh, full-time and part-time staff of very skilled, very experienced investigative reporters who have a particular toolkit, which is very, very rare in this country, and who have the the commitment uh, and the capabilities uh, to 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 drill down, and so you know, one story we do can take three months, exactly. whereas a lot of these sites, these are things that are that are produced within a few hours, or sometimes even minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Very much so needed.
0: And and what do you think of uh, the the new site ProPublica, that's funded by uh, some the Sandler's Sandler foundation, the Sandler's from here in California, and uh, unfortunately, the money that they put into this new nonprofit site. Uh, came from subprime loans, including a lot of loans that cratered.
1: You know, uh, there are any number of investigative nonprofits now. I think the more the merrier. Uh, Most of them, if you look at the individual stories, they're quite good, uh, because the people doing them are trained journalists and the reason i stress this is i'm all in favor of what they call public journalism where uh, uh... the public is encouraged to report what they've seen and what they've heard but the problem is you do need a vetting mechanism it's very very important journalism is no different than anything else that matters you know when you go to the doctor you don't want just anybody volunteering to uh... to uh, get at you with a scalpel you want to know that they have certain credentials and experience uh, and, you know, peer review and so forth. And so uh, places like that, they do have people with that kind of experience. That's important. I would say that there is something of a difference in the sense that some of them really have much more of a mainstream orientation. That is, they're really almost like an outsourcing of what the investigative or projects teams traditionally did at places like the New York Times and CBS. It's just that those places now don't have the budget for it anymore, and so they turn to these non to, to, to uh, fund and produce these stories and then let them publish them. Uh, what we're trying to do is to do stories that uh, these mainstream newspapers probably never would have considered publishing.
0: Now, Russ, let me ask you one more thing along these lines, and that is what's missing? What's missing from whether it's corporate media coverage or so-called alternative media coverage? And I hope not to embarrass my friend Sabell here, but I'm still pretty infuriated that the information that she made public in August of this year in a deposition that uh, she was uh, invited to uh, is still off limits to the corporate media. And what she described is a very significant and pervasive effort by the nation of Turkey to buy influence in the United States up to and including leases on three former speakers of the House, including Democrat Dick Gephardt and two Republicans, Dennis Hastert and Robert Livingston. Uh, They are all three on the payroll of Turkey and registered as foreign agents, foreign lobbyists. And the details that Sabell offered are stunning. They're very important. They, I think, uh, uh, are issues that uh, we should know about as we get ready. It appears the president is going to put more troops into Afghanistan, and Turkey's role in that part of the world is very significant. Yet uh, there's very little coverage, and uh, these are significant stories that are a lot more important than Balloon Boy or Eight or whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you see, I mean, there, there are a lot of different reasons that we don't see those kinds of stories. For one thing, uh, there just isn't, there's a decreasing appetite for anything that's at all complicated. And there's a decreasing appetite for anything that is uh, uh, international in scope that is not understood on a very, very simple basis. Uh and so um uh stories like that that where you have to sort of explain to the readers uh you know what is Turkey, where is Turkey, what's the strategic significance and so on, uh they, they just don't see that as, as as producing a lot of eyeballs and that's that's really an awful way of course to measure the news. But there's a lot of that. There's also just the simple fact that uh there's a discomfiture Uh, with naming names, and the reason I use that term is because that's very important to us. The way way that things happen, of course, is that uh, people do things and so when you tell all of the stories in on a on a kind of an institutional basis uh you don't give people the sense of, of the you know being a fly on the wall as these things went down now i love stories like that if you go to whowhatwhy.com you'll see that uh we did a story uh while the republicans were still in power saying who are the Democrats, the ones who want to be in power? Uh, who are their top operatives and consultants and so forth? And, and, and what sort of clients and causes do they take on when they're out of power? Mm-hmm. And what we discovered was this exact same thing, that they take on clients like the government of Turkey or uh, uh, that they, they work for uh, corporations that are involved in all sorts of environmental dispoliation and so forth that, that the candidates that they back uh, uh, are against. And so we thought that was important, but you see, we named the names. We had, we actually had whatever it was, thirty or forty lobbyists. We gave their names, the firm they worked for, who their clients were. This is what you rarely, rarely see. Uh, and one thing you certainly don't see is you don't see the names of the richest people in America. You almost never see their names in anything. Um, and and it's very funny because a family of secrets. Uh, my book is all about uh, all these. These these rich people, these families, and so forth, that we don't hear about. Uh, uh, what, you know, the, what you hear about, if anything, is about a corporation. And of course, those corporations, whenever they have to, have gotten into much trouble, they simply change their name. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, we don't even know. You know, like 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 Blackwater now. You know, is called something else. You yeah. know? And so, it's very very hard to follow. Uh, the guilt trail, it's very, very important that you actually name these individuals, put their pictures out there, explain who they are, what their background is, who they're connected with.
0: Russ Baker, the subtitle to your book, Family of Secrets, is The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Take a minute or two here and sketch out what you uh, alluded to a little earlier, that you've done deeper research on some critical events, and from the, the highlights, I understand that Watergate and the Kennedy assassination are just two of the subjects you delved into.
1: Well, that's right. I started uh, Family of Secrets the way I like to start any uh, journalistic project, and that was with some open questions and without any preconceived notions. I simply wanted to know how somebody as improbable and ultimately controversial as George W. Bush uh, had managed to become the most powerful person in the world and moreover to be reelected uh, at a point where we already knew that his uh, his largest impact decision uh, namely the invasion of Iraq was something uh, that was foisted upon us uh, uh, in, in a highly misleading gambit. And so I thought, this is a sort of a remarkable set of circumstances. This is a family that has been vice president or president for 20 of the last 28 years. Nothing like this has ever happened before in this country. Uh, uh, George W. Bush is uh, uh, almost, uh, I would say, a laughingstock, and yet there, there they are. And so I thought, well, how did this happen? What did it mean? Was this simply you know, a flash in the pan, or is there something more pervasive going on? And so in the five years that I spent researching Family of Secrets, uh, I just dug for answers. And as I dug, I discovered that there were things about George W. Bush that I had not known about that surprised me and gave me a whole different sense, a much more serious and chilling sense of who he really was and, and why So, the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars had backed him. And, and this led me, uh, Peter, to uh, look at his relationship with his father, because we'd always heard that the father and son were estranged and that the son was very, very different from the father. And increasingly, as I studied that, I discovered that they were really much more closely aligned, that this was a I would say, a a deliberate ploy to convince the public to vote for the son, because the father simply was not that uh, effective as a politician and not that successful. Uh, And then this, in turn, led me to examine the father, because of course the son would have never been president and not even governor of Texas if his father with the same first and last name had not already been president. Uh, And so as I looked at the father, I discovered that the father, like the son, had basically a lot of secrets, including a secret life. I discovered that uh, prior to being CIA director in 1976, uh, an appointment that was made supposedly because he had no background in the intelligence and he was supposed to be putting a fresh face on it at a time where it was under the CIA uh, improprieties were under scrutiny by Congress in the mid-seventies in fact that he did have a secret background that he w- had been connected with intelligence work for many many years prior to that going all the way back twenty three years to the early nineteen fifties and that in fact what we had done with George HW Bush was we had elected our version of Vladimir Putin, a man steeped in some of the most disturbing and undemocratic practices you could possibly imagine.
2: Uh, in your book and your recent uh, editorial piece, you specifically talk about shadow governments and how we have had a shadow government for about 50 years or at least 50 years. Can you tell us a bit about this whole concept of a shadow government?
1: Right. It's very simple. I mean, I, I don't want that to sound sort of spooky and, 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 and crazy, but I mean, the reality is this. We, we're, we're in a kind of a state of delusion in this country. If you talk to people in most other countries, they've got a pretty good sense that uh, powerful elites have a great deal of influence. And I mean, we all know that uh, on, on some level, we all understand that they talk about things like big pharma and uh, you know agricultural lobbies and the military-industrial complex. But we treat it as a sort of an abstract thing. We don't really think about what that means uh, and how it impacts us on a daily basis. Uh, the reality is that that our we, we we treat presidents with a certain kind of a naivete. We we look at each one and we get excited or disappointed and we say, okay, here's you know, Sarah Palin and what what would she do for the country or whether it's her or it's Barack Obama or it's John McCain and we, we stop we fail to stop and consider that these people can't do whatever they want. That there are tremendous forces in play and unless and, and we forget that all we have to do is look back at some presidents who were no wild-eyed radicals from uh, a Dwight D Eisenhower a, a general and a republican who warned uh, in a chilling speech and I urge people to go online and read the whole a speech that he gave as he was leaving office about the military-industrial complex. Uh, read Harry Truman's remarks 30 days uh, to the to the day after John F. Kennedy was assassinated, where Truman warned about the CIA and said he when he had authorized its creation, he never intended for it to be involved uh... with uh, covert operations uh... to go back to franklin roosevelt where there was an attempt to overthrow his government uh, by wall street figures uh, drafting general smedley butler uh... we have seen a constant pressure on every president from very very powerful forces uh... involved in our country's biggest industry the the uh, perpetuation of war uh... the the uh... The, uh, the defense contracting and now Homeland Security industry. Uh, this is a tremendously powerful engine, and in fact, we're all a little bit uh, guilty because all of our uh, 401ks and our uh, pension and mutual funds and so forth are invested in companies which, uh, which require uh, this, this machine to continue. So that is a very important element in shaping and driving our government.
2: Russ, as you mentioned, uh, many of us first-generation immigrants, like myself, who grew up in other countries, especially the third-world countries, uh, Turkey, for example, we are very familiar with this whole concept of the deep state or the shadow government. And and most people, they they know that, and they are aware of it. And you mentioned naivete. Uh, How about other factors? I mean, misguided nationalism, denial... I mean, what other reasons can you uh, tell us about that prevents people from uh, wanting to look at the reality? Because well, even when you show them, they try to look the other way. It's too hard to swallow. It's just not pleasant. It doesn't taste good.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I mean Sibel, there are a lot of different reasons for this, as you point out. Uh, they range from the fact that we're busy people – uh, and we're trying to kind of cope with our own issues on a daily basis. And anything that's just too weighty and too disturbing, it's something that we kind of push out of our consciousness. That's that's one thing. A second thing, as I said, is that we're all to some extent uh, invested and complicit in this. Uh, another thing is that it's a it's scary. Uh, to have to stand up as you have and try to do something. I think you personally know the consequences uh, of speaking out. Uh, It's easier not to make waves. Uh, There are many, many different reasons for this. Uh, I discovered this with Family of Secrets because as I investigated George H.W. Bush, Uh, Knowing at that point that he had been involved with intelligence work for his entire adult life, I then came across this fascinating fact that uh, in interviews when he'd been asked uh, the innocuous question if he remembered where he was the day that John F. Kennedy was shot, he claimed not to remember. You know, and this of course is so remarkable. Every time I do a public speech, I was just in Dallas the other day and I gave a reading and signing at a Borders bookstore and I asked the audience how many of you were over, say, the age of five, uh, November 22, 1963. And then I said, of those of you who were, how many of you don't remember where you were? Well, of course, every single one remembered. And so I was fascinated by this, and this took me kind of down a rabbit's hole. I spent two years trying to understand where he was and why he would say that. And what I discovered was so mind-boggling, and it forced me, a person who I had always sort of just, Not paid a lot of attention to that. I always just assumed, I guess it was Lee Harvey Oswald who shot Kennedy, end of story. Well, what I discovered was I was uh, completely unaware of what had happened there. And and I did all this research, and we don't have time here to go into it, but the result is four chapters in Family of Secrets of all new information on the John F. Kennedy assassination, uh, on Mr. Bush's... uh, 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 knowledge of that situation, people he was connected with who were close to Lee Harvey Oswald, to the people running the uh, presidential pr- uh, uh, motorcade, uh, lots of other extremely disturbing things. And uh, the book has been, Family of Secrets has been very, very well received, but several mainstream journalists wrote these vicious attacks, not even dealing with the substance of the facts, the thousand footnotes the declassified documents in there, they simply attacked me for raising these possibilities. And they said, this is just unbelievable. One guy wrote that no person who questions whether Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone has a right uh, to a seat at the table of civilized discourse. Yes. <laughs> oh,
2: did you then call you conspiracy theorist? Yes, uh, every oh, yeah, that, article that, that's uses exactly that marginalized, phrase. marginalized, right.
1: Right. And the funny thing, of course, is they can't really say it about me because I've been a journalist for a long time. My articles are very, very careful. Uh, Knock on wood, not a single one of them has required a substantial clarification or correction. So they really can't say that about me. But it is tricky when you're somebody uh, such as myself who has uh, serious journalistic credentials, but who starts kind of going over the line, looking into these deeper things. Now, I have to say, Journalists in this country talk about these things in relation to other countries all the time. You know, who killed Bhutto? You know, was it a conspiracy? Uh, we talk about there was an effort to, uh, to assassinate Charles de Gaulle by, by people within his own government. That's all okay to talk about, and that seems perfectly normal. But the second you question whether every single person in the history of the United States who took a shot at the president was a lone kook, if you question whether any powerful entity was, could ever have been upset with the president, alarmed by their activities, and desirous of taking them out of the picture, uh, you, you, you get labeled that way.
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, one other question, and uh, that's a great article that I just finished reading, editorial piece that you uh, wrote in early November. What Obama is up against, and you again deal with the shadow uh, government. But mainly it focuses on the bureaucracy side of it, and it's true, gigantic mammoth-sized uh, Department of Homeland Security. You know, we have black budgets, you know, with the CIA, no oversight, and, and uh, other military operations. But how about the other side, meaning when people say follow the money, then you're looking at the military-industrial complex, the oil industry, the banking industry, and their influence, or whether we could even uh, separate them. because when you start reading the history of Rockefeller families and how many of them ended up actually working with or in the CIA afterwards, and after 1945, and, and how many of the military-industrial complex high-level generals end up getting out and getting on the board of advisors or the board of directors of these other uh, military-industrial complex uh, related companies and, and oil companies, can we even really separate it, or how, how do you see that?
1: I, I don't think you can separate it. One of the Principal themes of Family of Secrets is that it's all uh, interconnected. Uh, uh, Resource extraction activities, companies involved with seeking, with doing mining and drilling and what have you, all over the world, they, I believe, have have always been the backbone uh, of our economy. Uh, But they're financed, of course, by the banks. Uh, And then you have the, uh, uh, to protect these investments requires the assertion of military power, which re- requires defense, co- so-called defense contracting, although should be perhaps be called offense contracting. Uh, but in any case, you have all of that going on, and then you have this army of enablers—the lawyers, and the uh, you know, and the engineers, and the lobbyists, and on and on and on. And so, this is a vast, vast machine uh, uh, which, perpetra- which perpetuates itself. Uh, but, but, but the money is certainly the key, and uh, in family- because I actually document how the CIA itself was created by a small group of people connected actually to the Bush family. In fact, the architect of the CIA was a Truman's defense secretary, Robert Lovett, who had been the business partner in the banking firm of Brown Brothers Harriman with Prescott Bush, the father of H.W. and the grandfather of W. A small group of these people who were all friends, all attended the same Ivy League schools and went were members of the same secret societies uh, whose families had benefited for generations from the intervention of the U.S. military uh, abroad to protect their investments, uh, they basically institutionalized that in the CIA to protect uh, their interests on a permanent basis. And so absolutely, this all goes back to the money and to, to a fairly small group of people who have an outsized uh, influence in, in our world.
2: So when we see all these organizations, great organizations, many of them, you know, in uh, civil liberties-related issues... And even within the blog of and Alternative News, why do we tend to deal mainly with like small symptoms rather than tackling macro level, base level problems, and therefore running around like headless chicken? You know, it's like someone who has a deeply decayed uh, tooth problem, but is Given Advil, or or they are dealing with the cosmetic aspects of the food and the enamel and how to make it look—I don't know—shinier. So, for example, I just saw this one piece that came out, which is a nicely written, well-investigated piece on how so many such as such uh, biopharmaceutical companies are able to actually physically insert legislations you know, within uh, this particular uh, committee, and and uh, and then leave it at that, and then people they get angry, rightfully so, and then they go after that. When 500 other pops up, you know, pop up. So why do we tend to deal with micro-level symptoms rather than looking at more macro-level uh, issues and diseases that have inflicted our, you know, foreign policy and our entire governing system?
1: It's it's much easier to pick uh, manageable battles. I mean, if you take almost any way that we as a society spend our time, uh, look at the things that we that that occupy us. Huge amounts of time watching spectator sports, a, a manufactured conflict where the stakes are incredibly low and we talk endlessly about this guy and that guy and remove this picture and that guy took steroids and of course none of it matters it may be enjoyable but it hardly matters uh... we we do the same thing with uh... with uh, scandal and gossip about entertainers we will never meet and who actually are much less interesting than the way that they're characterized this is what dominates us and it's a, a, a variation of this it exists in political reporting uh... it's very satisfying to take sides uh, on Sarah Palin and her new inconsequential book. You know, it's very <laughs> satisfying. It's easy. It doesn't take a lot of effort, and it's over and done with. If, if you're going to tackle big systemic things, it's a huge amount of work. It's a lot of psychic energy. You have to do tremendous amount of reading and history. Uh, you have to do uh, an enormous amount of research and talk to a lot of people. That's why people don't, don't want to do it, and that's to some extent why people don't want to hear about it.
0: We're talking with Russ Baker, and you're listening to The Boiling Frogs. His new book, Family of Secrets, is detailed in the website, familyofsecrets.com. Russ, uh, over the last few minutes, you detailed a lot of the threads of the Bush family history, going back to Prescott Bush, the senator from Connecticut, the uh, connection to the Walker family and Brown Brothers brothers Harriman, uh, reputed to have uh, continued financing the Nazi War effort uh, well after we declared war against Germany, and uh, bringing it into the present tense, we have the Carlyle Group, which is a uh, uh, an equity fund that has specialized in military contractors and uh, munitions companies, and it kind of brings the the, uh, the the Bush family together with uh, former prime ministers of Britain and other people, and it kind of brings that club out into the open. And I'm interested in your comment on the Carlisle Group and also on uh, Mike Malloy, who is the uh, left-wing rant uh, talk radio guy. And he coined the phrase Bush crime family. And I'm curious if you're comfortable with that term, if you think that it accurately describes uh, the generations of Bushes and the roles that they have played in our government.
1: Well, uh, let me start, if I might, Peter, by saying that one of the things uh, I think that, that I try to do with Family of Secrets was to not rehash what we already knew. Um, in fact, even what you're mentioning, the Carlisle Group mm-hmm. and the uh, the Nazi ties, I don't go into that very much in Family of Secrets. Almost everything in the book is brand new. It's never been in any other book before. I was looking for deeper things and to break new ground here, and I was trying to understand because the natural reaction people have is, you know, the Bushes left office. I don't want to waste another moment of my time hearing something about what they did before. And so what I'm focused on is the pervasiveness of the, uh, of the enterprise that they served. And this enterprise uh, has never gone away. It's there right now. It's there with Barack Obama. Uh, uh, you, you, you have to ask, why would a reform-minded Democrat Keep in Robert Gates, a man who was the CIA director for H.W. Bush, was the defense secretary for W., and in between uh, was the keeper of the files at the George H.W. Bush Library. I mean, this is just astonishing. And he in fact, he has a long track record of mistakes in his own uh, intelligence calculations. And so these are very, very profound questions. Uh, why are uh, people like Geithner and Summers? Uh, who really are serving the same masters as their predecessors, why are they Obama's people uh, on the economy? And so, so my purpose with Family of Secrets is, is to take that long view and to try to say not are the Bushes a crime family, but what is this much larger criminal enterprise of which the Bushes were a part?
0: Mm-hmm. All right, very interesting. So then moving into Geithner and Summers uh, and, and also the holdover of Gates. I, I mean, I agree with you on those points. It is striking to me that Obama, who ran as a change candidate, has favored the right over the left, uh, his base, and he has favored continuity over change in the most critical uh, cabinet posts in our government.
1: Well, that's right, Peter. And one of the points I make uh, is that uh, he simply may have no choice, and that is because Uh, uh, one of the things I discovered in researching Family of Secrets was what happened to presidents who made trouble for this establishment. Now, just as I recounted earlier, FDR facing a possible coup. Eisenhower, a general himself, warning about the pressures from the military complex. Truman saying that he had been bamboozled on the CIA. John F. Kennedy, uh, we are now finding increasingly the extent to which he was battling this establishment, trying to pull the troops out of Vietnam. There's been some controversy on this, but all the new documents released in the last few years and uncovered show that Kennedy was very much battling with that that establishment, battling with the CIA and so forth. uh, and then, uh, then you see that with some other presidents, again documented in Family Secrets, Jimmy Carter uh, trying to clean out this, uh, these illegal activities within the CIA and finding himself a one-term president uh, hit by scandal and a number of other things that appear to have been engineered. Even Richard Nixon, and this is one of the most shocking things of all, uh, as I researched the relationship between George H.W. Bush and Richard Nixon, uh, I I found that, uh, in fact, uh, Nixon had faced uh, opposition from the CIA and the military himself, and that even the the Watergate story that brought him down was not what we understood it to be. Uh, I document, and I think rather persuasively in three chapters of all new material, that Watergate itself was a covert effort, by the military-industrial complex to implicate and remove Richard Nixon. Hmm.
0: I can't wait to read that. That's very interesting. Now, again, about Obama and this concept that he has no choice, one of the things that I struggle with is that he has articulated that he's changed the policy and that we no longer torture. And he has tortured our system of criminal justice by saying that we need to move forward and not prosecute the people who were responsible, not, not uh, you know, Charlie Grainer and Lindy England, uh, the people who got caught at Abu Ghraib, but I'm talking about Dick Cheney, David Addington, Donald Rumsfeld, Jim Haynes. These were the people who framed the policies that permitted what is described as lapses and what was clearly uh, intended and pervasive. Uh, to I- embark on a a new era of barbaric behavior that departs from our constitution departs from our our uh treaty obligations and it's it 's really hard for me to hear Obama saying, Oh we don 't want to look at that, we just want to move forward so in your view, what drives that
1: well, I think it 's just what I said, I think he may have no choice. Uh, if he starts going after these people, they may start coming after him. That's just what I've been talking about the last few minutes, that there is this unknown history of presidents uh being uh, cowed intimidated and moreover being shaped on their way up i mean how much do we know about any of these people the uh for for someone like obama to even become president he had to raise enormous amounts of money several hundred millions of dollars from wall street uh and so they've got obligations themselves they've got to walk they have a balancing act they have to walk a very very fine line they have an economy which is driven principally by a, a constant state of war uh, and it is not easy to just change these things and and I think it's a, I think it's quite perilous frankly to be president of the United States and if he manages to survive uh, and to institute uh, some some substantive if somewhat modest reforms you uh, will be able to count that as a great success
2: it was really refreshing to hear you talk about you know moving forward and looking at present and and uh, instead of just going and bickering with all the older issues and the personalities, and you're still facing the same old issues and problems, like the obsession a lot of people within the blogosphere has with the Karl Rove. It's Like, okay, just get over it. You know, he's gone. If you really want to do something, just boycott Newsweek. Guess what? They hired him. <laughs> so uh, it's really refreshing to hear that from you because it really at, at times gets nauseating to go and see this.
1: Well, you you know something, Sibel, one of the other things that surprised me, one of the hundreds of things that surprised me as I came upon new discovery after new discovery, uh, working on Family of Secrets, was that all of this attention on individuals like Karl Rove uh, and Dick Cheney uh, is somewhat uh, misguided, that these people are not these uh, they don't deserve to be the kind of lightning rods they are because they're merely apparatchiks in this larger apparatus. And in fact, that they voluntarily expose themselves uh, to the uh, contempt uh, of their critics because it takes the, the attention and the focus away uh, from the real and more powerful and, and more constant players uh, operating behind the scenes.
0: Well, let me uh, offer a different point of view to the two people here that I I deeply respect. But I'm not interested in Karl Rove's scalp. And I don't consider myself obsessed by Karl Rove or what he may have been responsible for. But I believe that if we were able to uh, force Karl Rove to tell the truth about what he did in the Bush administration that it would reveal uh, one or probably two stolen elections, and I'm talking about presidential elections, and many other uh, lower-level elections that were jiggered or stolen, including the Siegelman case in Alabama. It would also give us information about the way they used phony charges of voter fraud to cover up the massive election fraud that uh, they engineered from every angle they could, including the demonization of Acorn, and I believe that we would learn more about the way U.S. attorneys were directed from Washington, from the White House and the Justice Department, to undertake uh, certain investigations or prosecutions for political reasons. And so my interest in Rove is in uh, trying to peel back layers of the onion to learn exactly what they did and, and who did it.
1: Well, I agree with you completely, and that's the whole purpose of WhoWhatWhy.com. It's not that we're not interested in Rove or Cheney or something, but what, what I was ta- what, ta- talking about, and I think what Sabel was talking about, is this endless chatter uh, on the Internet where people are just going after those people as sort of villains uh, uh, rather than a focused request, uh, request that, we, that we get those people on the stand and force them to reveal what they know. Uh, about larger factors than themselves.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that some of that is silly, but I think some of it is a desperate effort to draw attention to these characters yeah. for the purposes that you and I just discussed.
2: Yeah. I, have one, I have one comment on this, and I want to you know, get both of your uh, takes on this, because, okay, there is so much desire, or people scream about wanting to know and wanting to know, and even when we get concrete knowledge, facts, whether it comes through a hearing or whether a report is leaked, is then what? Because we are being bombarded with so many scandals, and so many of these issues actually to, you know, get leaked out, and, and, and people get to know about it. But then the question is, okay, who, what, why, and then what do we do about it? And that is, where is the direction? Are you looking at this Congress that has already absolved all these people, and it says, you know what? You know, we, are we not going to do anything about this? Or a president who says, I have already pardoned all of these people. So who is going to do something about it? Maybe that's one of the who questions, Ross. What What do you say?
1: Uh, there's no question that it's very, very tricky to figure out solutions. Uh, and and I don't know that I have an answer to that. Sometimes when I'm wearing a particular hat, uh, I, I put forth uh, proposed solutions to to move these intractable things in, in a positive direction. But I do think that even simply doing a much, much better job of getting information out there and, and educating people and informing them, I really do believe that information is power. And that is, is a worthy end in itself. If we could just devote ourselves to getting much more good information out to many, many more people, I think that the solutions are going to begin to take care of themselves.
0: And and I would chime in similarly that I consider my role here in trying to generate as much uh, truthful information, credible information as I can about issues that I think are pivotal. And uh, to me, I feel like I can move the ball down the field a few yards and hope that we have a criminal justice system that would operate according to the rules hope that we would have uh... members of congress and the committees that are supposed to oversee uh... critical uh... executive branch departments would actually do their jobs and uh... Sabelle, you know in in my experience in watching politics in this country over the last forty or so years uh... there have been moments uh, for the most part uh, things are kinda locked down <laughs> and welded shut but there are times When the confluence of events and the activism of of certain groups will produce an opening. Uh, And sometimes it's very brief. And sometimes what it reveals is is the cyclical nature of things. Uh, Earlier today, I was doing an interview with a lawyer from Chicago who wrote a book about the uh, the the state murder of Fred Hampton, a Black Panther leader in Chicago who was killed in his sleep. Uh, uh, in early December of 1969 and when you look at that over the long haul you see a pattern that uh, we had abuses of the Constitution and a concentration of power at the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover uh, that reached the the breaking point and things broke open and there were efforts to address it and for 10 or 15 years it appears that the FBI more or less operated within the rules That changed under Bush and Cheney, and again, I hope that exposure that leads to some form of accountability would lead then to reform, and uh, then the cycle starts all over, I guess.
1: Absolutely, and by the way, um, one of the things I've uh, encountered... since uh, Family Secrets has come out is that I've been contacted by a number of people from very high positions, uh, US senators, uh, people very high in the, d- the Defense Department, and so forth, and and some of these folks said, you know, this stuff is really needed because even we don't understand the big picture. You know, we're so busy fighting the day-to-day battles, uh, we don't necessarily have time to read history or, or maybe the history we're reading is inadequate. We don't have this bigger qu- uh, picture, and so and so, these moments, these suddenly, you know, these light bulb moments where they they, they come across a whole new perspective on things, it it is transformative, uh, even for people uh, laboring within the system. And so it's very, very valuable to go through this kind of exercise.
2: Well, I love to hear both of you and and actually feel some of these uh, optimism radiating from both of you. It's good. I need that. But you know, I have heard it often and over and over. Actually, when I was getting my master's degree in public policy, the professor saying, "Oh well, the pendulum is going to swing, and and the pendulum swing by itself. You know, you basically yes, you put the information out there, and and eventually will go back. And well, my question is, well, maybe it doesn't swing always back because. What we are seeing here with the civil liberties and the diminishing of civil uh, liberties and with the Department of Homeland Security and the Patriot Act and so on and so forth, we are descending towards a police state. And by, by being optimistic and actually thinking that we do have time, are we going to allow that to happen? Or thinking this way, is it considered just way too pessimistic? Because just like American people, many of them, maybe deep inside not wanting to know about the deep government or the shadow government, they also are resistant to the idea that the United States can in some way be considered one day a police state and therefore disregarding this this tremendous uh, degradation that we have been facing within our civil liberties.
1: I I would argue that that, uh, it's a double-edged sword. The problem is that Uh, uh, I I mean, I agree that I think things are actually much more grave in this country than most people may realize. But at the same time, when you push that relentlessly, you are in danger of giving such a bleak uh, scenario to people that they say, well, it's so bad, it's so far along, there's nothing, what can can I, what can one person do about it? I'm going to go out and just enjoy myself and, and block all of this out. And so I think you have to give people hope. You have to give them a sense both of the urgency of the situation, but you also have to give them some ways that they can do something about it. And everywhere I go, people always say to me, well, what is there anything? Is there nothing we can do? And my answer uh, is very simple it's the Internet. As long as we still have a free Internet, people can go on the web. Even if they don't have original information to contribute, just simply taking things like this radio show, I assume you have a link to it, uh, put that link in an email and email it out to 50 or 100 people and ask each of them to send it to 10 or more people. You start spreading the word. And, you know, I covered uh, the declo- the end of the um of the East Block I was in I was one of the first reporters in East Germany actually even before the Berlin Wall came down and I saw the moment that people had a whiff of freedom there were People wearing uh, hats and masks who jumped on the buses in East Berlin, and they were furtively handling out leaflets and starting to have meetings in people's homes. I saw the same thing in Romania when they overthrow, uh, overthrew Ceausescu. I covered that. There was resistance, and there was resistance when there was a glimmer of hope. They simply spread information, and the spread of the information is what emboldened everyone, uh, and it resulted in a, a, tra- a profound transformation.
0: Russ, I want to ask you about one other area which is kind of a third rail these days in American journalism, and that is uh, the truth about 9-11. The 9-11 Commission's report has been widely discredited, and uh, serious questions have been raised by uh, Governor Kane and Congressman Hamilton uh, about the information they were fed, the way it was controlled, and uh, the limits on the scope of, of their uh, operation. And I just finished reading a really frustrating book by John Farmer. He's the dean of law at Rutgers, former attorney general of the state of New York, and he was the lead counsel uh, on the 9-11 Commission. And this book is so circumscribed, yet the New York Times reviewed it and said it it blows open and tells the truth about 9-11. Well, all he really discussed was the problems between NORAD, the military uh, air command, and the FAA, on 9/11. He doesn't even mention Philip Zelikow by name anywhere in the book. And Zelikow was the guy dispatched from the White House to uh, keep the uh, 9-11 Commission inside the lines. Uh, similarly, there's no discussion of any disc- dissent uh, among the, the members of the 9-11 Commission. There's no discussion of the way the White House uh, uh, initially tried to block any kind of independent investigation and how the family's uh, survivors pushed for it. Uh, And so I'm not trying to push you here into uh, loose change territory, but I would like to know if you feel that there are legitimate investigations that should take place regarding what actually happened on 9-11.
1: Well, I I can tell you what I do know, and that is, uh, well, first of all, let me say I have not done any research on 9-11, although uh, people do send me lots of things, and I look at all of it carefully. I would say, at a minimum, there are many, many questions, and it is clear that we do not have all of the information uh, in any aspect of this, including, as you point out, the investigation. Now, uh, my experience with looking at this type of thing uh, is the, is, is, uh, the Kennedy assassination and Watergate, as I pointed out in Family of Secrets, where with the Kennedy assassination, I went back and read hundreds and thousands of pages of the, of the Warren Commission transcripts, and I could see you used the term a circumscribed investigation. Well, it's absolutely stunning to see how transparent it is that the Warren Commission's mandate was to cover something up. And I agree with you that the 9-11 Commission and a lot of these other commissions uh, seemed to have a mandate to do damage control. And that in itself, whether there is or is not anything larger to this, that in itself is so deeply troubling. We at least need and we deserve to get to the answer why do these people who may not have involved, been involved in anything untoward themselves, why do they feel that they must uh, circumscribe our discussion of those events.
0: Yeah. Russ Baker, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. I want to thank you for joining us on The Boiling Frogs and direct people to your website, familyofsecrets.com, regarding the new book, and uh, whowhatwhy.com, which is the uh, new investigative journalism site. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you you both very much. Enjoyed it. Give me absolute control over everything, so that's an That's an order Take the only tree that's left Stouge it up the hole in your culture Give me a bank of wall
2: Give me this time Leo Cohen and the future. The future. Well, that depends on us. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back soon with more Boiling Frogs interviews.